everybody, 2nd of September, the anniversary of the 1945 surrender of the Japanese to the Allies on the USS Missouri. Picture of that in the strategy piece. Note to everybody, do not book on Airbnb. They are a pain when it comes to cancelling. They are trying to take $625 off us for cancelling a booking because of COVID and you just cannot talk to them. Not happy, Emma. Right, that aside, Wall Street, Dow Jones down 48, but the Nasdaq and the S&P up overnight. Our futures down 13, but our market getting a shellacking this morning, down 90 at worst, down 78 as I speak. BHP, the main culprit, going ex-dividend. It's got an ex-dividend about $2.70. It's fallen so far $3.30. It's down 7.2%, but 5% or more of that is the dividend. But Rio down 1.7%. Fortescue's been holding up well. It goes ex-dividend on Monday, so people reluctant to sell. But all the iron ore stocks under pressure as the iron ore price, which fell 27% and then plateaued for a week or so. And in that plateau, you saw BHP bounce 5%, Rio 8% and Fortescue 12%. But the iron ore price didn't bounce, it just stopped falling and now it started to fall again, down 5.9% overnight. And that's on the back of China talking about steel mill production curbs, which we already knew. The problem with China is that they don't do things for a week, they do things for years. And clearly part of their climate control policy is to cut back on steel production. And this is mainly why the iron ore prices come off. Also the demand for stainless steel and steel from the automotive industry, which is struggling to produce everything they want to produce because of shortages of microchips. These things are combining to send the iron ore price lower. So we're trying to work out whether the iron ore price topping out is a big top or a small blip and as it takes another leg down it's looking more and more like a big top. I've chatted about this at length but don't be fooled by the PEs and yields on resources stocks. They are based on forecasts and if the iron ore price falls as they always do they are highly correlated. The stocks will fall as well and that's what's happening at the moment. The other sort of negative today is the Chinese PMI, manufacturing PMI number 49.2, below 50, which means contraction, down from over 50. And it continues this series of weaker economic numbers out of China. And none of that feeds well into commodity prices, and particularly the iron ore price. I've got a chart of the iron ore price and the resources sector in the strategy piece today. You can draw your own technical conclusions, but at what point are you going to stop denying the fact that the iron ore prices peaked. Other quick things, the RBA meeting next week, the suggestion from one economist is that they will delay their tapering after the recent acceleration in case numbers and lockdowns. Not sure anybody cares, not in the equity market anyway, but it does continue to pass this message of peak growth. And we had that GDP number yesterday, which is reporting for a three-month period that ended two months ago and deserves, as it was, to be ignored. The Chinese seem to be able to produce GDP numbers in two weeks. It takes us two months, by which time it is almost irrelevant that 
that whistling in the background, by the way, is the wind. I appear to be coming to you today from the crow's nest on HMS Victory. Or was that USS Missouri? Anyway, I've got an education piece in today, which is called The Folly of Chasing Dividends and Franking. Have a read of that. I won't run through it all. But let me give you the basic idea, which some of you will have heard before, that we have a weird culture in Australia. Half the Australian population think they are being terribly clever by collecting franking, but it is pointless if you lose more money in capital over the ex-dividend process than you collect through the dividend. It is inevitably, any stock going ex-dividend is inevitably just a swap of income for capital. The stock is going to drop by the ex-dividend amount, or more or less, on the day it goes ex-dividend. So it's a nil-sum game. And most people hope that it only drops by the dividend and that they get the franking for free. But that's not necessarily the case either. And any experienced investor will tell you that chasing dividends is folly because of the share price fall when it goes ex-dividend, and also because larger income stocks People tend to hold on to them until the ex-dividend date and then all dump out afterwards. So the ex-dividend date can often start a short-term, not long-term, but short-term downtrend or can extend a a downtrend. And especially if it is in a downtrend as it goes ex-dividend, as BHP is at the moment and Fortescue will be on Monday, a lot of people have stayed in the stock but are seeing the share price fall and are wanting to sell and wanting to sell. And as it rolls into the ex-dividend date, they all then cascade out. So you get a bigger ex-dividend drop than the dividend. The bottom line is it is not a guaranteed moneymaker to be picking up franking because it's a swap of income for capital or capital loss for income received plus franking. And those two may net out to nothing. So my guide would be this, that I wouldn't care when the ex-dividend date is. If you want to sell, sell. If you want to buy, buy. And franking is not the messiah. It shouldn't trap you in a stock. It is just, franking is just a heavily marketed Australian structure that is no miracle. But financial planners will tell you that this is a value add to access franking credits on your behalf. And brokers will use dividends and franking as a reason for you to roll your huge holding in, say, the CBA as it goes ex-dividend into one of the other banks that have got dividends coming up and in the process create a bucket load of commission. And people set themselves up with an account that all their franking and dividends is paid into that account. They live off that account. So they are now dependent on dividends dropping into this account because they have pigeonholed their thinking to this one income account. And that's where they buy their groceries from. But it doesn't have to be that way. In the USA, it's completely different. They've got a completely different culture and I would suggest you a far more intelligent culture. In the USA, bonds are for income. Of course, not so much anymore, but that has traditionally been the thinking behind an American investor is to say bonds are for income. If you want safe income, don't go looking for it in the equity market. Get it from bonds and equities are for growth. And that culture is why a lot of companies like Berkshire Hathaway, Microsoft, resisted for decades paying any dividends. And it's why very profitable companies like Microsoft has only got a yield of 0.8% at the moment. Apple, 0.6%. They've got a 73% return on equity. They could afford to pay enormous dividends. They're paying 0.6% yield. Facebook doesn't pay any dividends. Amazon doesn't pay any dividends. Berkshire Hathaway doesn't pay any dividends. 
because paying a dividend in the US is seen as a failure. Equities are for growth. So paying a dividend says I can't grow your money faster than you so you can have it back. And shareholders understand in America, if Amazon can earn, I think it's return on equities 25.9%. If Amazon can earn 25.9% on every dollar you invest in the stock every year and it's compounding, why wouldn't I give Amazon my money? And why would I ever want them to return any money to me through dividends when, when they're compounding my money at 25.9%? And that compounding is turning up in the capital value of the shares. So you might see the US market performing better than the Australian market over the long term. Part of the reason is because they're not paying out 4.5% yields and the money they're not paying out is compounding in the share prices every year. And as Einstein says, the eighth miracle of the world, not the eighth miracle, what is it? The eighth wonder of the world, compounding, is growing the US share market faster than it's growing the Australian share market. If you were to take, we're yielding about 2.5% more than them. If you take 2.5% compounding every year, every year for decades, of course the US market outperforms ours because that's compounding as opposed to coming to us and we go spend it on something. So that culture doesn't apply in Australia. Here it's all about dividends and franking. It's not about total return. And I've written about it a number of times, but Australia has this zombie-like obsession with dividends and franking. And by doing that, you corral yourself into stocks that have no other growth options than return to return money to shareholders. And all the growth stocks with high ROEs are almost culturally shunned as being risky or dangerous. But that's where American investors get excited. That's where the total return is, giving money to companies that are compounding annually with 20% plus returns on equity and paying no dividend. Of course, in order to appreciate that, you're going to have to break your mindset of paying dividends, filling out those DRP, well, DRPs are okay, but filling out those forms when you get when you buy a share and get paperwork from the company says where do you want us to pay the dividends and you pay it into this one account you have to break the mindset of having that account of course the problem with that is, is going to freak you out is that if you don't chase income stocks but you t chase growth stocks you're going to make a lot more money but you're going to have to sell some I don't know afterpay shares in order to buy your groceries in retirement rather than relying on a refund check dumped into one bank account to buy your groceries. But you're almost certainly going to be better off if you take a total return approach to the share market rather than an income approach to the share market. Of course, we all pander to the income investors because it is such a driver. And it sort of works in some cases because although we're talking about missing out on growth companies, which are risky, some people don't want that, genuinely don't want that. And they want companies that have got an option on some growth with an okay yield, and that will do them fine because they're taking less risk fine absolutely fine but if you are the 30 to 60 year old still working still got a 20 30 40 year runway on equities you need to think really hard before you start buying the banks for income or Telstra for income or Wes Farmers or Woolworths or infrastructure stocks or utilities because you are retiring yourself decades before you need to anyway read about it in the strategy piece today for the education amongst you, you'll know what the picture means in that section. Right, I've also written today a piece about the jobs numbers in the US and in Australia and why they matter. The main message is that the Fed have made jobs the, the central piece or the central bit of economic 
data on which they will set policy. And when you look at the chart in the strategy piece of the total number of employed people in the US, you will realize why they are still nursing the economy because the economy in the US is still 6 million jobs down on where it was pre-pandemic. Some companies are making enormous amounts of money. Some of the big tech tech companies are making enormous amounts of money. So you, you don't notice it in the share market, but they're not employing many people. When you look at the manufacturing base of the US, it is still pandemic affected, even though the equity markets don't appear to be the economy is and there are still or there is still some significant progress to be made on the economic front and it is blatantly obvious in the jobs numbers before the Fed can step back at all and start thinking about or worrying about tightening or inflation or anything else there is still the, the economy is still in hospital so have a look at the chart in the strategy piece that will tell you that that's why we're watching closely the jobs numbers which are out on Friday and that's why the jobs numbers are going to help dictate whether the Fed taper their meetings coming up on the 15th or 16th. There's also an RBA meeting, as I say, next Tuesday. And laughably, in the strategy piece today, I've also put in a chart of Australian total employed. And the amazing thing about that is, whereas the Americans are still 6 million jobs down, their total number of employed people, by the way, is currently 152.6 million. So they're 6 million down on 158.7 million. In Australia, however, total number of people employed 13.16 million. What are the other 10 million people doing every day? Anyway, 13.16 million. I suppose they're at school. 13.16 million. Get on with it, Marcus. 13.16 million employed in Australia. That is more than we were employing pre-pandemic. Now, there's something wrong with that. It is a rather hilarious statistic. And as I've, I sh it's not really stock market sensitive, but I have bothered to point it out in the strategy piece today that if you're on JobKeeper or JobKeep, JobSeeker, you are not necessarily classified as unemployed. And you may be classified as not unemployed. And you may even be classified as employed, even if you've worked zero hours, if you are still getting paid, or if you believe you have a job to go back to. So nobody knows what the real unemployment rate is. In May, the University of Melbourne, some academics did some work and pointed out that although the official ABS statistic was that unemployment was 5.2%, truth was it was 11.7%. The bottom line is our employment numbers are fudged, politically engineered, and are not painting a picture as clearly as the US numbers are. If you look at the chart in the strategy piece, you'll see we've got the lowest unemployment at the moment since 2010. Now that can't be true. Anyway, off the soap box. Right, as a bit of amusement, I have put in some technical scans today. We've got systems here. I've mentioned them a thousand times. We've got systems here that allow us to scan every stock in the ASX. Not that you really want to. You can create far too much activity for yourself in the stock market once you get software involved. Anyway, we can using, we use Omnitrader. You can use Metastock. And I have got an article on software used by members in the archive somewhere. Go to the articles section in the newsletter and search software and see what comes up. Anyway, we use Omnitrader and today I've put a few of our results of a few of our scans in. One of the scans is stocks that are very oversold, RSI below 20. Iron ore stocks turning up there, BHP and 
and Mount Gibson. Mount Gibson's a good iron ore trading stock, absolutely broken a five-year trend in this recent fall. Come the resurrection, that is probably one of the stocks you want to play. It's down from about a dollar to 57 cents, so you can see highly sensitive to the iron ore price. BHP as well, heavily oversold, and there are two buy now, pay later players, Sezzle and Split It, both heavily oversold. You begin to feel that the buy now, pay later, blind enthusiasm phase is over. Also on the scan today, very overbought. See a list of stocks there. Obvious ones, Wise Tech, Seeks on there, Ardent Leisure, Reject Shop. And interestingly, some very overbought ETFs. The Global Tech ETF, the Robotics and AI ETF, the Global Cyber ETF, the Beta NASDAQ, sorry, better shares, NASDAQ ETF and the better shares cloud ETF and a odd one on the end here, the better shares sustainability ETF. I've also got another scan of high trending stocks turning down or as one of my colleagues calls them, buying opportunities in good stocks, Wes Farmers on there, NIB Holdings, John Ling Group, and a couple of others. And lastly, some buy signals on a few gold stocks, very short-term stuff. I've put a chart in the strategy piece. The main trend is still down. Right, that's about it. On this day, apart from the surrender of the Japanese, in 1666, any schoolboy of my era would know what that date was if they were English. It is the Great Fire of London, which started at a baker. Can you believe the King's Baker, no less. It burned for four days, burned down 13,000 houses, which were all made of thatch and wattle. And it also burned down St. Paul's Cathedral. There you go. A few other things in the strategy piece on this day. One of them was Theodore Roosevelt made that speech in which he coined the phrase, speak softly and carry a big stick. Right, as I leave you, market picked up a touch. We were down 90, we're down 66. Tech stocks doing okay. In other words, bond yields coming off. Banks doing absolutely nothing nothing. Resources down. Coal stocks having a resurrection. All sorts of buy signals on the charts for them. Henry's Archer Materials seems to have done some deal up 5% today. As I leave you, Dow Futures down 35. You have a fabulous day and I will speak to you soon.